0: We'll just get situated, and I'll pray.
1: Passengers aboard the Titanic, many people know about the Titanic, was a godly pastor from Scotland by the name of John Harper. Harper had recently spent three months ministering at Moody Church in Chicago. He had been back in Britain. He had not been back in Britain long when he was asked to return. He quickly made arrangements for himself and his six-year-old daughter, Nana, to return via the Titanic. The Titanic struck an iceberg on April the 14th, as many of us are aware, 1912. Harper wrapped his child in a blanket, told her that she would see him again one day, and watched her safely aboard one of the lifeboats. She actually survived. Once, and he ran up and down the deck as the ship was going down and saying, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. That's what he ran up and down. the. One survivor distinctly remember hearing him shout, woman, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Harper knew that believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not ready. Harper then around, ran along the decks, pleading with people to turn to Christ. He called upon the Titanic's orchestra to play, nearer, my God, to thee. Gathering people around him on the deck, he then knelt down, and with holy joy in his face, he raised his arms in prayer as the ship began to sink. He jumped into the icy water and swam frantically to all he could reach, beseeching them to turn to the Lord Jesus and be saved. John Harper then sank into the depths and passed into the Lord's presence. He was 39 years old. Four years later, a young Scotsman named Akula Webb stood up in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada and gave the following testimony, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on driftwood that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow, also on a piece of wood near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The waves took him away but strangely the waves brought him back to me a little later and he said, are you saved now? (laughs) No, I said. I cannot honestly say that I am. He again said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. And shortly after he went down and there alone in that night and with two miles of water underneath me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. Amazing history doesn't record that. They focus on everything else, and I, some one times, wonder when these big things happen. And was a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. The way God views things, it's different to the way man views things. Just thought I'd encourage you. Bless you, John Harper. One day you all meet him. You can say we read his story here yeah, in 2023. All right, grab hold your Bibles, please. Go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. It's always a privilege to be able to bring the word, it really is, I don't take it lightly. I think my biggest fear in preaching all these years was that I would preach error. My wife knows that, that's always been my biggest fear, so that's why I stay as much as I can rooted to the word, that I would never preach error. So what I want to talk about today is why do we gather? Why do we come here on a Sunday? Why do we attend meetings? What is the purpose? What do we come for? Why can't I sit at home and watch TV? Just me and Jesus and his wonderful preachers on TV, don't get me wrong. And how do I come? What sort of attitude do I come with? What's the purpose? Do I come to appease my conscience? Do I come to pe- appease my family or my spouse? Why? It's interesting to note that in Matthew chapter 16, you don't have to turn to me when Jesus asked the questions, and he asked a lot of questions. Who do people say I am? Most of you know the scripture. Some say you this, some say John the Baptist, and he turned to the 12 and said, well, who do you guys say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, my Peter, you did that did not come from you. And the very next thing he said was, on that revelation, I will build my church. It's interesting, Jesus didn't focus only on him. He introduced the church. It's the first thing he did. He introduced the church. When we confess Christ, God doesn't leave us to get on this walk by ourselves. He brings us into his family. He brings us into his church. Michelle, at 10 years old, got saved. Many of you know the story, so I'll be very, very brief about it. Her family were involved in the uh, occult, not occult, a cult at that time. Her mother used to go to Ramakrishna centers and whatever. And one day they went to this Ramakrishna center. It was closed. So the leader of that particular group said, well, let's go to my house. They went to their house, and they were all... They're saying a mantra, and Michelle went to the leader and said, what do I do? I'm 10 years old. I don't know what to do. I'm too young to, in a sense, get a mantra. So the gentleman took some time and he he said, well, why don't you just say this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Exactly opposite of what they were doing because they were calling on a demonic God. So Michelle did that, but she did it with all her heart. And in doing that, the presence of the Lord came upon her. And joy came over her, and she had to control herself from laughing. And everywhere was going, ooh, and she wants to laugh and dance and go crazy. That night she had a dream. She had it two nights in a row. And she was walking on this island, and Jesus was holding her hand. And she just thought about it, and he knew what she was thinking. Mainland. And Jesus said, it's okay, you're with me. And they just walked around the island. They walked around the island. There was ten. I don't know how old you were when you went... 23, 13 years later, Michelle never understood church and Jesus because we never went to church. They didn't connect. So the first time she walked into a church, it was United Presbyterian Congregational Church. I mean, it was just... And the pastor, a great guy, gave an altar call. So Michelle went up. It was Pentecost. And in a sense, she publicly declared what had already happened in her heart. And the next few days, she had the distinct impression... She was now on the mainland. She was now with God's people, his church. He looked after her until one day he could be. Church is very important to the Lord. It's what he's coming back for, his people. Together, his people. Every tribe, every language, every tongue. And so, that's why, why do we attend church? Why do we come here? And we know that church is not the building. I mean, many of you know this. The church is you and I. This is just a building so we don't have to stand out in the heat. This is not ch- And I know we say we're going to church, which is in a sense inaccurate. You are the church. Wherever you go is church when you're with other believers. But we need to come together from time to time. And it's interesting in China when the persecution was so strong. There's a book called Heavenly Man. We read it years ago. And they weren't allowed to meet because fear of persecution. The Holy Spirit will tell people in a certain region where to go, what time, what day, and people would meet. And they would wait for the Holy Spirit to tell them, go down this street, turn left, go there. My people are meeting there. And that's how they met. Brother Garner, because why did the Lord do that? Because he wants his people together, to come together. Because there's things that happen in our togetherness that cannot happen when you're by yourself. There's an anointing, even today, there's an anointing in the worship that you cannot experience when you're by yourself. You cannot. It's important that we come together. Anyway, let's go to Hebrews. I'm running ahead of myself. Hebrews, did I give you a chapter yet? I didn't. Oh, my. All right, Hebrews chapter, can you believe it chapter 10? Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, if you haven't got a Bible, please get it on your phone or or your iPad or whatever it is. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Therefore, brothers, now we need to ask, I remember reading Derek Prince when he said, whenever you read therefore, find out what it's there for. In other words, you've got to go back and get some context. And I'll give you a brief context. The author of Hebrews has taken five chapters To explain the supremacy of Christ, that He is the priest, He is our great high priest compared to the Levitical Old Testament priests. They died, he lives. So he's our great high priest. The other thing was explaining the supremacy of the New Covenant, the New Testament. If you put your finger where you are in Hebrews chapter 9 and go to Hebrews chapter 7. This is what he's explaining, verse 20, verse 20. And he was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath. Talking about the Old Testament. But he, Jesus, became a priest with an oath when God said, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever. And because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee. Underline that down to Genesis. The guarantee of a better covenant. Now there have been many priests before since the death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely or to the uttermost those that come to God through him because he lives to intercede. So that's part of the truth that the author of Hebrews was trying to show these people. The next one is trying to show that in the Old Testament, the Israelites... Approach God at Mount Sinai with fear and trembling. Exodus 20 tells us that. But believers can approach God with boldness because we have the righteousness of Christ by faith. We don't have to approach Him in trembling or fear. The other thing he was trying to tell them is the high priest passed away or passed through the veil to get to the most holy place, which is the presence of God, and only once a year, once a year, where we can come daily into his presence because of Jesus Christ. Daily. New believers enter the presence of God through Christ's body, meaning his sacrificial death that Dwayne talked about. And then believers have a high priest who, having been tempted himself, can sympathize or have compassion with our weaknesses and perfectly represent us before God the Father. So if you go back to Hebrews chapter 4, I'm just trying to give you a context. Verse 14, this is what it says. Therefore, it's another therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, or let us hold fast, our confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. And the Bible says His mercies are new. Help me. Every day. There's fresh mercy every day. Every day. It's wonderful. So that's what this writer to Hebrews. So if you go back to Hebrews 10... So now read it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence or boldness to enter the most holy place, that is, into the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, opened by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, because in the Old Testament the high priest had to go through that curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, so because of these two verses I've read here, the next five verses, these five, let us, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. And the first one is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to Him. He welcomes us. The writer is encouraging us because of Jesus. Let us draw near to God, full assurance. Of faith, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse our hearts and to cleanse our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Next one, let us hold unswervingly hope I think this battery is dying. To the hope we profess. Let us hold unswervingly, unflinchingly to what we declare, because what we declare today is we declare in the future hope we have when it comes back but when he takes us home. And swervingly to the hope for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So I'll touch on some of those us, and I want to focus on one. Let us draw near, that word draw near, let us come into his presence. That's what the writer is saying. Come into his presence. Come into his presence. Next one, it says, let us confess the confession of a hope is a confident expectation of the future. The next one says, let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Love and good deeds need to be spurred on, to be encouraged. That word spurred on gives the Greek context of Forcefully, forcefully speaking to someone to impact believers, to encourage them to live in love and good works. It doesn't just happen. We need to encourage one another into that. And then verse 25A, let us not give up meeting. I'll come back to that. And verse 25 B, let us encourage or exhort. The New King James says exhort it means coming alongside and inspiring one another with truth. That's what it needs. So, let's focus on the one. Let us not give up meeting. Why do we need to come and meet? Well, the Bible is telling us clearly. What is the purpose? First and foremost, to worship God. That's why we come together, to worship God. God is worthy of our corporate worship. God inhabits the praises of his people as he did this morning. God inhabits the praises of his people. Worship is 165 times in the New Testament. Born again is only three times. Yet it's so important. We have a glimpse from the Bible, if we read Revelation, worship in heaven. We actually can glimpse into the heavenlies. So if you go to Revelation chapter 4, you all still with me? All right, hallelujah. Revelation 4, verse 8, 8 to 11. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns down before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord O God, to give glory, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they were created and have they been. Let's go to chapter 5. Verse 8, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked up and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice. They are saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. That's a glimpse into heaven, people. And what I want you to notice is where's the focus? There. Not yet. The focus is there. And I find in worship, the more we can exalt Him and lift Him up and look to Him, even though I'm going through things, faith begins to enter my heart for what I'm going through. Because I see Him for who He is. Worship is heavenly. It always is. The focus needs to be on Him, not on me, not on us. There's a time for that, I understand that, but it needs to start there. I encourage us to start there. Uh, When we go on vacation, I try and find a book that I can read that will stir me, and so I got hold of this book called The Way It Was, it's actually written by Carol Wimber, it's about John Wimber. How many of you know who John Wimber was? All right, a number of people. God really used this man powerfully. And this is what she writes about John, he was a musician. He wrote music for the Righteous Brothers. And he was actually, he played on the band, but he actually wrote most of their songs. And they were the supporting actor when the Beatles came to America. So they were really going places. And then he got radically saved. And I don't know how long after he got saved, the Lord spoke to him. He said, I want you to take all that music, put it in your pickup and go and dump it. So he did. He went and dumped a lot. And out of that, vineyard worship was birthed. Isn't that amazing? That has gone worldwide, worldwide. And he wrote a lot of their songs. An unusual combination in reality, the musical talent, this is his wife writing about him, without the prima donna attitude. And I believe John made possible the prominent place the worship leaders had in the vineyard just by being who he was. He couldn't be moved by the worship leader's need to express himself through the music. It isn't about you, it's about Jesus, and your only job is to lead the people to him. That's what he kept telling his worship leaders. He would say, displays of artistic temperament and endeavor left him cold. When the worship leader would go off into an introspective indulgence of musical meandering, he commented, I suppose to them it's fraught with meaning, but I'm not impressed. He was the ultimate pragmatic artist, and because he was such a fine musician himself, he couldn't be fooled or intimidated by anybody's great talent. He fought to keep it simple, and I think he did a pretty good job. What good is it, he would say, what good is it ultimately if we produce worship songs that only the experienced musicians can play? What will the little churches do? He hated elitism in whatever form it took, spiritually as well as musically. And he also understood that it takes legitimate acumen and craftsmanship to write simple songs. He especially loved the guys who would put aside what they had the ability to produce and choose instead to write simple love songs to Jesus that anyone could sing or play on a guitar. That's why God used the man. And I just want to say, yeah, I want to thank you musicians in this church. Because you keep us centered on Jesus. I really want to thank you. And if you're involved in any part of the musicians, any part, even the people at the back, because this can't happen, will not you stand, please? I want to honor you. Please, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your sacrifice and I thank God for your musicians, I really do. So the first and foremost important, we gather to worship Him. It includes adoration, praise, thanksgiving, proclamation, kneeling, shouting, clapping, dancing, singing. God wants us to enter in all expressions of worship. And I know when when I first got saved, and uh, I didn't understand the whole thing about lifting hands. And then when I saw somebody else do it, that encouraged me to do it. That's what happens. You see somebody else enter an expression of worship, and it encourages you to begin to enter into your expression of worship, which is delightful. That's why we need one another. Number 2 We've got 13 minutes left. First one is to worship God. Secondly, why do we come together? To hear from God. He has a lot to say. And we need answers in our own lives. We carry stuff. We're dealing with stuff. Life has come at us. And so we come with a listening ear. I encourage you, come. When you come on a Sunday, come to hear the Lord. Come to worship him and then to hear if he speaks to you. If there's something the preacher says that grabs you, write it down. He's speaking to you. That's what he's doing. He's using a human vessel communicate something to you and there's no human vessel that is perfect but that's what he chooses to do come eagerly to hear him then we'll know what we need to stop what we need to lay down something or what we need to take up god gave exact measurements to noah to build the ark exact to the millimeter god gave exact measurements to moses it's amazing and he gave exact measurements to David, to build the temple. He's able to give us exactly what we need. So I encourage you, come with a listening ear as you worship. Number three, to cooperate with Him. These are very simple. To cooperate with Him. Unfortunately, we have become sermon analyzers and worship analyzers instead of Listeners. And come in with a heart. And when I come and analyze, I become a spectator rather than a participator. I encourage you, who's ever standing here, doesn't have it all together. They're also working through stuff. And so sometimes it doesn't come across the way they would like it to come across. It's one of the things preachers struggle with. It's called Blue Mondays. Last time my wife preached, she came home and, sorry, I don't mean to throw under, she just said, Gee, I should have said that. I'm not sure. I said, don't go there, Michelle. Don't go there. Don't go there. Everybody that stands there, or anybody that leaves says, I should have done this, or I shouldn't have done That's the reality of just dying to self. And whoever stands there is doing the best that they know how. Let's hear what God is saying through them. That's what I mean. Rather than analyzing how they're doing. Hello? See, it comes with a different attitude. So I encourage you. Because he wants us to cooperate with him. Learn to cooperate. Write down what cross Write down what he says to you. I encourage you. Next one. We come to be changed by him. So we come together to be changed by him. To not to go home the same. Trust he's ministered to us. Or he's encouraged us. Or given us a word. Or said something to us. Or we were just caught up in his presence. And, we, and How many people, be honest with me, I don't answer this question without, you don't have to put your hands up, because you wake up on a Sunday and you think, oh, the last place I feel like going to is church. Then you come, and when you go home, you say, thank the Lord I went, because you leave differently. That's the point. And so sometimes on a Sunday you've got to say, buddy, get out of bed. Walk. Put some clothes on, we're going. Amen. You've got to speak to this body. And it doesn't often listen to me, unfortunately. So, <laughs> But you've got to speak to it. we come to be changed by him. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. He wants to renew our mind. The next one actually follows on from the previous one. To get our perspectives cleared up and our priorities sorted out. Because the world shouts at us. It's his, the world's ways. It's the world's priorities. We listen to it 24-7. Radio, TV, out there, people's opinions. Everybody's got an opinion about everything, particularly, unfortunately, in America. So I stay off social media as best as I can. And I just notice when I do go on it, somebody said something, and 15 people are for him and 15 people against him. And I'm thinking, the guy's just trying to communicate something. So everybody's got an opinion, and God wants us to get our perspectives right. He wants us to know what's important to Him. And the world is becoming such a blend. It's becoming such a, how do I put it, there's a blending of stuff. So truth is, there's no defining of truth anymore. And so we need to come and hear the truth and what truth is so we can live by the truth because the truth will set us free and stop the blending. Everything's blending and mishing and mashing and so there's no way. What's the truth in all this? And so we get our perspectives cleared up. Number six, to be loved by Him. To find acceptance, experience forgiveness, afresh and anew. Maybe to find healing, whether it be physical, emotional, moral, mental, financial, relational. To be restored, to be refreshed, to be made secure again in His love. To feel His love, become aware of His love. Next one is to get to know God in different ways. Because we're different. We express things differently, which is wonderful. We love that. We need that. And so we get to know God in different ways. And as I said before, other people encourage us in doing things. And we learn from other people. And the next one is for security, protection, and direction. From wolves. From false teaching. From deception. Paul wrote to Timothy. He wrote to Titus. And one of the things he kept saying, particularly to Timothy... Watch what you teach. Give them solid doctrine, sound doctrine, because there are people that are going around and will bring error in. There's wolves that will come. Paul even wrote in Acts chapter twenty when he called all the Ephesus from all the all the elders from different churches, and he said, "I'm going home to the Lord, but I'm telling you, there's wolves that are going to come amongst you. Be aware of them. Teach the truth. Preach the truth." So, And so there's a covering that comes. There's a covering that comes. And it's hard to explain a covering, particularly in the spirit. When you're part of a body, but you're part of a body, you're not just attending, you're part of it. You've connected in. You say, this is where I belong. It doesn't mean you can't go anywhere else, but this is my home. This is my family. Like Josh and Rachel are sitting here, their kids are part of their family. And because they're part of their family, they get protected by them. They get covered by them. They get... Uh, their needs met by them, they get... Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a covering over their four girls because they're part of the family. Now, in the spirit, the same thing happens when we're part of a family. There's a spirit like an umbrella that goes over the people that are part of this family and part of that family. And so when we come in, there's a spiritual covering that begins to take place that we're not even aware of. It's like coming under an umbrella... And it's very interesting when James writes, if any of you are sick amongst you, what must you do? Help me. Call the elders. That means you know who the elders are and the elders know who you are. So you're part of something. It doesn't say call the TV evangelist. He won't come visit you when you're sick, char- and sick. I've got nothing against him. And your hard-earned dollar... Be careful where you give it. Give it where God wants you to give it. Everybody wants your dollar. They do. They do. And so, you need to give it where you're fed, where you're protected. I'm not saying you mustn't give somewhere else. You need to. I agree. That's why there's tithes and offerings and giving. Paul wrote to the church in Philippians and said, every other church gave to me the way you gave to me. And because of that, God will meet all your needs. And we quote that scripture, but you've got to see the context. This poor church gave all they hurt to help Paul apostolically. When we give apostolically, when we give to the nations, God does something fresh, something more. That's what he does. Because my, what? this church will be a prayer for all nations. For all nations as well. So I encourage you. Ask the Lord where you need to sow your money. I really encourage you to it. Don't just give because somebody's asking you to give. Be wise where you give. So I encourage you that. So call the elders when you're sick. Not that the elders know everybody, yeah, but one of the elders will know some people or the other. So there's a sense of covering. There's a sense of just, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Protection helps you work out your salvation. helps with vision and direction. So that's why we meet. All these little simple points. That's why we come together. That's why we're together. Isolation from fellowship takes away life and it will take away fullness. That's what it will do. And so we've got three minutes left and I would like to do this. I want to read this scripture to you. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So the way I would like to end today, I want you... Do you want to say something, Michelle? Okay, come and say something, please, my dear. My wife's got certain hand signals. When she going like this, it means stop, stop, cut, I never do cut, that
0: one. cut. <laughs> no. Um, I just felt as I was sitting there that, you know, um, the enemy does not want us to meet together. Because together you're stronger. You just are. And he does everything he can to stop us meeting. And the thought that came to me, and I really believe it's the Lord, is that in persecuted countries, he stops them through fear and control. You know, Uganda, a country in Africa many years ago, was one of those nations. And they were not allowed to meet and anything like that, extreme persecution. Eventually, a new government came in and it was Christian. The church had multiplied, I think, like at least 10, 20-fold, the when, underground Went church.
1: underground, but it multiplied. But
0: nobody, the people did not stop meeting. It might have cost them their life, but they didn't stop meeting. In first world countries, it's convenience. And it's what I feel like. That's the way he comes to us. Gee, today I'm really feeling I'm tired. I think I must just sleep in. I'm not saying there aren't days that you must do that. I'm not, it's not about legalism. But just see why. What is it? And that's just what I felt. Yeah.
1: You know, when COVID came in, when COVID, in a sense, worked its way through, there were many people that stopped going back to church, unfortunately. It was very sad. Very sad. Isolated. And I know people have got hurt. Let me encourage you. If you've been in any church for more than three months, you will be offended. Get over it. And you know what? Another three months' time, you'll be offended again. Get over it. I encourage you, get over it. Work it through. Work it through. Because that will stop you coming. We cannot live with offense. We live in the past. That's what offense does. I really encourage you. And if you need to work it through and you need somebody to help with it, that's fine. I'm willing to help you if I can. But I encourage you. How, your biological family, you get offended by your brothers and sisters and maybe even your mom and dad. But you can't walk out of them. You've got to meet them at Christmas and the auntie you don't like. Oh dear, I've got to, Yeah. Don't let offense stop your meeting. I encourage you. Please don't. And those of you that attend home groups or growth groups or whatever we call them in this church, hallelujah. Keep doing it. It's it's desperately needed. Desperately needed. We need to encourage one another. So the way I want to end, I want you to think about someone you want to encourage today. Hopefully it's somebody sitting here. And when I say go... Go up and encourage them. Don't flatter them. Just encourage them. People need encouragement. I encourage some of you to encourage the children's church workers. It's not easy. Go and encourage them. Thank them. Thank the person next to you for coming. That you could worship with them. Go and encourage someone. I encourage you. And if nobody comes to you, that's okay. The Lord will encourage you. He really will. Think about it. Just take a second. Lord, is there somebody you want me to encourage? Maybe there's somebody on your heart already. And if 10 people come to you, that's wonderful. Just wait your turn. And If you can't get it, you can send them an email or a text. Love one another. Encourage one another. Uphold one another. Protect one another. Help one another. Walk with one another. Amen.